All right, well, let me start out with a question for all of the men. Men, have you ever felt like you started a home project and then you got in way over your head? Raise up your hand, men, if you started a home project and then you felt at some point in the project that you got in way over your head. Wives, if your husband isn't being honest right now, go ahead and reach over and just raise up his hand for him. Because let's face it, when we start a project, we can bite off more than we can chew. Lauren and I were house shopping in one of the hardest uh, housing markets to shop in for a while. We finally found a house and God provided greatly for us, which we were so thankful for. It's a fixer upper. And so we negotiated on our home sale to rent back for a while. So we had a month from when we closed on this new house uh, to finish the renovations before we moved in. And we are actually moving in Thursday. The problem is we need a good more four to six weeks to get everything done. But we only had four weeks and we're in week three. So I know what it feels like to be in uh, way over my head. In fact, Friday night at 11.30 p.m., I don't know what you were doing, but I was in my basement trying to figure out how to use a nail gun for the first time. And I figured it out. And so I uh, had to you know, nail these boards up in the ceiling because the drywall guys were coming the next morning at 6.30 a.m. And so I got the board lined up and I, and I snapped my first nail and it blew my hat right off, right off my head. And I thought, was that a nail? Like the old westerns where one guy shoots the other guy's hat off, but thankfully it was just the blast of air that comes out from the back of the nail gun, which I didn't know about. So I know what it feels like to really be in way over my head. Maybe you do as well. Maybe right now there are some things in your life and you feel like you are in way over your head. Good news. David wrote a psalm, Psalm 34, when he was in way over his head. God had to come through for him big time. And we're going to learn from David today. What do we do? What do we do when we feel like we, we can't and we have to cry out to the Lord because, because we can't do it? That's what this psalm is all about today. Let's pray, and then we will get into Psalm 34 together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this chance to be together outside. Lord, thank you for this beautiful day, for your word, and for the gathered church family. We pray that in this psalm we would learn what it means, Lord, to taste and see that the Lord is good. We pray that you would help us, Lord, to know what to do. When we feel like we've reached the end of our energy, our strength, our wisdom, our patience, our grace, our love, help us to know, Lord, when we cry out to you that you will be right there to hear us and to respond from heaven. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, open your Bibles to Psalm 34. Psalm 34. And the title of the psalm is Taste and See That the Lord is Good. The subscript is of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, that's a king, so that he drove him out and he went away. We'll get into that story in a little bit, but uh, David wrote about 1,000 B.C., so we're talking 3,000 years ago. A psalm is a song. It's like a poem. It's, a, it's the hymn book of the Old Testament. So David wrote this psalm, and then the Israelites would sing about it. David was an artist and a musician, but also a great warrior. This psalm was written as an acrostic. You remember the old acrostic poems? When you were in school, you'd have to take like the first letter of, of uh, 
This first, well, each letter in your name and then write something about yourself. Well, this is actually, each line is a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And so it's an acrostic song. It says here in verse 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. David is telling us what God did for him, and he is inviting us to do what he did. Well, kind of. You see, David actually did some foolish things leading up to this psalm. He made some huge mistakes, but then he cried out when he was in desperation, and the Lord came through. He wants you to do exactly what he did. He wants us to do what he did. And the first thing you can write down is this. If you got a note sheet on the way in, number one, God saved me from all my fears. He's sharing a testimony of what God did for him. God saved me from all my fears. And the, the subscript teaches us that what happened to uh, prompt this psalm. David had to flee from Israel. You see, when God anointed David to be a great king, there was already a king on the throne. Do you know what his name was? What was his name? King Saul. He was a wicked king, self-centered, and he wanted to kill David. So David, the king, had to run out of his entire country and run for his life. On the way out, he stopped and picked up Goliath's sword, which should have reminded him that, that God was good and would deliver him. But it actually seems like for a, for a good couple year period, David was really losing faith. He was making one bad choice after another. He ran into enemy land, Gath, which is where Goliath was from, and then they brought him in front of the king, and David was afraid he was going to lose his life. Why wouldn't he die? They captured David, the guy who killed their champion, and so what David did was he pretended to be insane. He started groaning and growling and drooling down his beard and scratching on the wall and writing nonsense. He acted like an insane fool. And guess what? They bought it. They bought it, and the king actually said, why have you brought me this madman into my presence? Don't I have enough madmen to deal with? Get him out of here. Some think that they wouldn't kill a crazy person because perhaps of superstition, they were afraid of a spirit in him or something, but however it worked, it worked, but get this, it wasn't pretty. David was making a fool of himself, and it's after that happened that his life started to really spiral downward. Now. Long after this, he reflected on this time in his life. And he's saying, I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. In verse 1, David says he's committing to bless the Lord at all times. No matter the time, no matter the day, no matter the place, no matter the circumstances, he's going to trust God. He has resolve, and he invites us, Oh, magnify the Lord with me, verse 3, and let us exalt his name together. He's calling you to sing too, no matter the circumstances. Why? Because verse 4, I sought him. He answered me and delivered me from all of my fears. David was in big trouble. And it says in this psalm, he was terrified. So he sought the Lord. He looked to the Lord. He cried to the Lord. Hey, let me ask you this. 
Are you crying to the Lord because of all of your fears? Somebody once said that when you read your Bible, it's like eating, and when you pray, it's like breathing. So when you stop reading your Bible, you're starving, and when you stop praying, then you run out of breath. And maybe you're holding your breath. Maybe you're not praying about your problems. Maybe you're, you're worrying and you're losing sleep, but you're not getting it out. You're not crying to the Lord. And David said, that was me. Then he sought the Lord and the Lord answered him and delivered him from all of his fears. Then he says, those who look to him are radiant Verse 5, and their faces shall never be ashamed. I think that he's thinking about how his face must have looked just so terrible when he looked crazy. And he's saying, but when I looked to the Lord, my face was glowing. It was radiant, right? This poor man, he calls himself, even though God promised to make him a king, a poor man, a needy man, right? And he calls us to be humble. And then I love verse 7. There's an angel of the Lord encamping around those who fear him to deliver him. The angel of the Lord could be the Lord himself or a mighty rep representative from heaven. Wow. David was in over his head, and he was crying out to the Lord. Hey, are you crying out to the Lord because you are in over your head? I got to tell you, with this home renovation, I really felt like we weren't going to be able to move in. I felt like we had fallen so far behind. And so I woke up at 3.30 in the morning on Wednesday, I think it was, and I just couldn't get back to sleep. My mind was racing, and a few things had fallen through. The first carpenter said he couldn't take the job, and then there were the flooring was on back order. It was just, you know how it goes, one thing after another. But then you hit that breaking point where you say, well, there was kind of a slim chance, but now there's no chance. And then I just prayed because I couldn't go back to sleep anyway. I prayed for a good hour while I was just lying awake there. And I got to tell you, there were like four things that happened that day, one after the other, after the other, after the other, that actually warped us forward. The flooring came in a whole week early. Uh, we, we were punching through a, where a closet door had to go, and we discovered in the wall there was already a door framed out, like the previous owner just put it there, which was kind of cool. But the best was a guy named Lenny showed up, Lauren's uncle, and he like built subdivisions, and Lenny showed up, and we had a pile of wood on the floor because we had to raise up our living room floor because it didn't match the other floor. And he just looked down, and he said, what are you guys going to do with this? And I was like, I don't know. We were going to have somebody raise the floor up, but he backed out of the job. And so he looked at the floor and looked at me, and he's like, this isn't a hard job. I said, I don't even know where to start. He said, I got it. He went out to his van and got the tools and came in. He got it done. I mean, he got it. He was like Mighty Mouse. He got it done in no time. And I was just standing there like, this is a miracle. Lenny the miracle. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever felt like you just, need, you just couldn't. There was no way you saw to get where you needed to get. But I really believe God heard my prayer, and he answered me because I didn't see any way that I could get those pretty important things done. Hey, God will save us from all of our fears. And don't start with the whole, well, my problem's not that big anyway. God wants your big problems and he wants your small ones. And don't give me the whole, well, you don't even know how big my problem is. Oh, please. I mean, David really had problems. After he appeared before this king and got away, he started living in a cave. He started living in forests. I mean, we're talking a good year and a half where he couldn't even go back to his homeland. David's got problems bigger than you and me, all right? And so God will save you from your big problems and from your little problems. So number one, God saved me from all of my fears. 
Number two, jot this down. Now David is inviting us to join in. Taste and see God is good. This is what he's saying. Taste and see God is good. So it goes on in verse 8 to say, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Wow. He uses a food illustration here, taste and see. Sometimes you find a new food and you're really excited about it and you want other people to know about it. Am I right? So like recently in our family, we discovered that, uh, you know, nerds, the candy, right? They're good. You know, you, you can't, if they're out, you got to eat them. But nerds came up with this idea where they took like gummy fruit and, and then they covered the gummy fruit in nerds. So it's like a gusher with nerds around it. And, and if that's in our house, we literally fist fight over it. I mean, it's just like, get out of the way. Those are mine. They're so amazing. And uh, I want all of you to try them. So go to the store this afternoon and buy the nerds. I think they're called nerd clusters or something. But they're, they're just so addictive and they're amazing. And taste and see that they are good. Maybe you find a new recipe. Maybe you find a new restaurant. If you've never been to Chai Tong, it's our favorite restaurant. Uh, it's uh, in Evergreen Park, I think, but Chai Tong. They've got the hibachi in the back if you want to see them make the food. I mean, I'll tell anybody, that's the best Chinese restaurant around. Taste and see that Chai Tong is good. But the imagery here is like, he's kind of saying this, assuming that you're really not buying it. He's like, hey, hey, taste and see, like give it a taste. And you're kind of like, yeah, I don't think so. No, 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 just try it. Yeah, I don't think I want. You ever have to negotiate with your child to get them to start eating? Have you ever had to do that? Where like the first bite is like a negotiate. Just put it in your mouth. I don't want to. Just taste a little and you'll and you know they'll like it. But before they've even tried it, they're gagging. Oh, I don't even look at it. It it's going to. Uh. This is kind of what's going on. David is saying, look, if you would just give God a chance, if you would just start to cry out to him, if you would just give it a taste. And I think that he's talking to a couple of groups of people. He's talking to people who have never tried the way of faith. And maybe that's you. Maybe your whole life you have never given God a chance. You have never truly cried out to him and said, I need you. You've never admitted just how much you need him. You have never tasted what it's like to live by faith. But then again, there are some people who have maybe lost their appetite. They've walked away. And he's saying, hey, 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 just try. Just taste. Just, just come on back. And I don't know where you're at with God, but taste and see that God is good. He is good. The challenge here, the opposite uh, accusation is that God is not good. That started way back in the Garden of Eden, right? When Satan tempted Adam and Eve, and what did he say? Oh, did the Lord really say this? He's lying to you. Satan wants you to believe God is not good. He wants you to believe that God is not good. David is saying, blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord. Those who fear him have no lack. And so he wants you to believe that God will take care of you. Hey, are you reluctant in this season of life, maybe because of your hardships or your fears, are you reluctant to pray to God? 
Are you reluctant to talk to him? Maybe because you feel like he should have already answered you. Or maybe because you feel like there's just no way. Or maybe you feel like you've ruined things. You know, God can't forgive a person like me. Whatever it is, do you feel like you can't talk to God? Uh, do you feel like you can't trust God? Do you feel like you don't believe he will come through? And therefore, are you having a hard time singing to God about his goodness or about his love? Hey, is that you? Guess what? David was there. He knows exactly what that felt like. He was, he was in a rough stretch for several years. He almost died partly because of his folly, and he had to trust God every minute. Well, listen, I just want you to know that God will hear when you cry out to him. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him. God will hear you. He can listen. He can see you. He knows you. He loves you. And you have to cry out to him, and God will respond. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, sometimes you feel like, well, I waited too long. Why would God answer me now? And C.S. Lewis, one of the greatest thinkers in the faith, talked about that, and he said this. God will have us, meaning he'll accept us, even though we have shown that we prefer everything else to him and we come to him because there is nothing better now to be had. I love that. He's saying, look, even if we try everything else first and then we realize God's the only thing left, even then God will receive us. God is so loving that even at the last minute, the thief on the cross, when he cried out to be saved, God said, okay, you're in. So it doesn't matter how long you've waited. Have you cried out to the Lord? I like that. Then he starts talking about animals here. He says, the young lions, verse 10, suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. That's a funny image. So, you know, like the king of the jungle, right? The, the, the lions out there, like nothing's going to stop them. And uh, the lion is out there hunting and they get the food, they bring it back. And then the young lions eat, but pretty soon it says here the young lions are hungry again. So one young lion looks to the other one and says, I don't know about you, but that really didn't fill me up. Hey, Mom, I'm still hungry. Can you go out and hunt some more for me? And Mom's like, quiet, Simba, right? Or I'll send you over to your Uncle Scars. <laughs> go back to bed. In other words, even lions, the top of the food chain, can't always get it done. And their young lions are like, I want more, I want more, I want more. And it's so cool because it says here, those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Meaning God has no problem providing for you. God has no problem protecting you. He has you covered. And so David says here, taste and see that the Lord is good. Bless God and live. Are you tempted to doubt God? I remember what Job's wife said, right? I heard a preacher once talk about how Job lost everything. He lost all of his children. He lost his whole business. Uh, he lost all of his money, and then he lost his health. But his wife was still there. And the preacher said, everyone has to wonder why Job's wife was still there. Well, then she said to him, why don't you just curse God and die already? And the preacher said, and that's why Satan left his wife. Because he was... She was not helping him. She was actually telling him, curse God and die. She was tempting him actually to lose heart. David is saying here, don't do that. Don't curse God and die. Bless God and live. Hey, are you tempted to doubt God's goodness? Taste and see that God is good. 
Number one, God save me from all my fears. Number two, taste and see that God is good. And then number three, jot this down, turn from sin and embrace what is right. Turn from sin and embrace what is right. So he's assuming that you're listening. He's assuming that we want to do what he's saying. And so now he tells us uh, how we are supposed to do that. So how are we supposed to do it? Well, check out verse 11. In verse 11, it says, Come, O children, and listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? So in other words, how am I going to do this? How am I going to enjoy a nice, long life? Well, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Very interesting here. We don't know when David wrote this, but when he appeared before that king, that was the beginning of a really tough period in his life. Um, and so God got him out of that trial, meaning the king didn't kill him. There was a whole lot more that happened after this, though. He, like I said, he was living in caves. He was living in forests. But he got this army, a good 600 men, uh, banded around him. And so he eventually went back, when he didn't have any other options, to the king of Gath. Somehow he developed a relationship with this king. This is, again, Goliath's hometown, uh, where this king trusted David and actually said, I'm going to make you my bodyguard for life. David went to enemy land and actually signed up and became part of the Philistines' army. And, um, and he was deceiving this king and lying and saying, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm your ally, and sure, you know, I'm for you. And meanwhile, he was sneaking around. The lying and the lying and the lying is something David kept trusting. All his life long, David would struggle with lying. He would lie. He would lie about what he was doing. Later, he would kill somebody and lie about it. And yet, what happened was, when he reflected on how he got himself into a big mess, what does he say here? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. In other words, he knew that the lying didn't get it done. Do you know how much trouble David got into? A lot of people don't remember this story. But when the king of the Philistines was about to go out to war with Israel, David lined up and marched in the military parade. In other words, David, who's got Goliath's sword strapped to his back, became Goliath. He was the Philistines' champion, and he was about to ride out and spill the blood of the countrymen that he is supposed to rule. But thankfully, God held him back from that. At the last minute, the Philistine general said, no, no, he is not coming out with us. And then David had to get out of there. But listen, listen, he was in a messed up place. I mean, this is not what God had for him. And so later, as he wrote this psalm, and he said, keep your lips from deceiving, keep your lips from deception. He knows how much trouble his lying got him into. The lying, the lying got him into trouble. And then he says here, turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. That was another one of his big temptations. The king wanted to kill him, and David had to say, I'm not going to be the one to hurt him. I'm going to seek peace. I'm going to pursue it. And so this gives us basically a quick uh, two parts where we can say, how are we doing with that? If I'm turning from sin and embracing what is right, hey, is it showing up in my language? Am I ready to put the line behind me? Am I ready to watch what I say? Am I ready to glorify God with my words? You know what the book of James says, right? You can tame any animal on the planet, right? It's been done. You can get a dolphin to do three flips in the air with a whistle. But guess what? You can't tame your mouth. You can't stop it from sinning, but God can. And so when somebody's language changes, it means their heart has changed. 
and their relationships. When they turn away from making war with people and they actually have peaceful relationships, especially with difficult people, then you know that God's at work. When you can resolve conflict in a mature biblical manner. Hey, this is what we're called to, to turn from sin and embrace what is right. Now, you might be saying to yourself, I'm in. I'm ready to cry out to the Lord. I'm ready to, to, to get his help and to walk with him. Well, ask yourself this. Have you actually cried out to God for the first time? Do you know the Bible says that you need to be saved? David is saying it right here. I cried out to the Lord and he saved me out of all my trouble. You know, your biggest trouble is you're going to stand before God in judgment one day and all of your sins are going to be read for all of heaven to hear and you'll be condemned and then you'll be sent away from God's presence for eternity. Hey, have you cried out and asked God to save your soul forever? Have you asked Jesus to be your Savior and your Lord? And you said, that's it. I'm not doing it my way anymore. I need a Savior. I need Jesus who died for me. Have you asked Jesus to save you? Have you, like David says, as a poor man, cried out to the Lord? That's where your relationship with God starts. I'm not talking about religion. I'm not talking about do you go to church. I'm not talking about you trying to get better and better and better and better. That's not what it means to be saved. What it means to be saved is you realize that you have no hope at all and you need to be rescued. This story in this psalm is a great escape. God got David out of enemy territory before he was executed. Hey, God needs to rescue you from enemy territory before you get executed. Have you asked him to save you? Have you turned from your sin once and for all and embraced what is right? Have you said, okay, I'm in. I got saved when I was a freshman in college. I was actually the drummer in a metal band, a heavy metal band. I had really long hair, went all the way down to my belt. And we'd go out, play these shows all over Chicago, and there I was, drumming with my double bass drum, and, and the bass player in my heavy metal band was a Christian. <clears throat> so he invited me to church, and then I learned, wow, God wants to save me from all my sins. And I remember one of the verses I heard early on was, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And I was like, wait a minute, I've been taught my whole life, I have to work hard and be good to go to heaven. This says it's a free gift. This says I can only be saved if God hands me heaven. Hey, has God handed you heaven in Jesus Christ? That's the only way that any one of us is getting saved. And I asked Jesus to save me, and he transformed my life. Wow. David is really challenging us here. Number one, God saved me from all my fears. Number two, taste and see that the Lord is good. Number three, turn from sin and embrace what is right. And then write this down. Number four, believe that God will deliver you from all of your fears. Okay, so it goes on in verse 15 to say this. He says, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. His eyes are on you and his ears are toward their cry. He hears you. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Well, how come that person over there who's a, a bad person and they seem to be getting, getting away with it? No, 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 no. The face of the Lord is against them. To cut off the memory of them from the earth, they'll be gone soon. They'll be gone soon. And they'll get what's coming to them. You don't worry about them. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. 
Do you see how it's one way or the other? It's the narrow road of the righteous or the broad road to destruction. You're on one road right now. The Lord is near, verse 18, to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. You realize that the Bible never promises your problems will go away. I know there's some prosperity gospel preachers out there that will tell you if you have enough faith, you'll never have any problems. That is a lie. Jesus said in this world, you will have trouble. Don't believe anybody who tries to convince you that faith in Jesus Christ comes with a free car. All right. I don't need the free car. All right. I know what's waiting for me in heaven. And don't listen to anybody who's trying to promise you a pain-free life. Jesus didn't do that. Verse 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. God will meet you when you're crushed in spirit. God will meet you when you have afflictions. Verse 20, he keeps all of his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked. They're going to be doomed. And those who hate the righteous will be condemned. But the Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. These are amazing promises and amazing words. Uh, the word refuge here means a shelter, a fortress, or a kind of where you would run if there's a war or a storm. When I was at one of my son's baseball games last year, or two years ago, uh, we were all standing outside, and then this dark cloud came in, and before you knew it, there was like hurricane rain coming down. They kept all the boys in the dugout, partly because they are made of cinder block and partly because they didn't even have enough time to make it to the cars. And I mean, it was pouring, and all of the adults who were in the stands got under this tiny little tree together. There were like 10 of us uh, all huddled under this little tree, and the wind was blowing, so the wind would blow one way and we'd all kind of go like this, and then the wind would blow the other way and we'd all kind of go like this, and guess what? It didn't help one bit. We got drenched. There was mud all over us. We were soaked head to toe, but we couldn't make it to the cars. Now listen, if you don't have God, if you don't have Jesus in your life, you're just standing under this tiny little tree, right? And you have nothing protecting you. But if you have God, it's like you're in that cinder block storm shelter. Nothing's getting at you. That's what it means for God to be your refuge. Is God your refuge? Is Jesus your hiding place? Notice that the Bible is very aware of the problem of pain. You will suffer. The righteous will suffer. One time I thought to myself, you know, what is the difference between following God and not? I could end up in the hospital, you know, right next to somebody who has the same uh, problem I do physically. And if he's really not a Christian and doesn't love God and lives a terrible life, and I try and honor him, and what if we get the same diagnosis? Is there any difference if I honor God? If in the end, I'm just going to go through what everybody else goes through. And then I realized, absolutely everything's different. As I'm laying there, the Holy Spirit is inside of me. God's promises are on me. His angels are protecting me. The prayers of his people are upholding me. And he will take me to heaven when my day comes. The other person doesn't have God in their life. They're not forgiven for their sins. There's no protection upon them. There's no promise about them. As when they go off to the next life, they'll never see God again. And I thought you could have two people sitting side by side with the same diagnosis in the same hospital room, and it's two entirely different spiritual realities right there. Do you realize that it's worth it every moment to follow God with your life, no matter what you're going through? He changes everything. And David is saying this. He's promising it. And it says here that he will deliver you out of all of your pain in the end. I love the heart of God. 
David doesn't feel like he's worthy. He calls himself this poor man. This poor man. And I'll close with this story. If you're a Billy Joel fan, do we have any Billy Joel fans out there? Raise your hand if you're a Billy Joel. How many of you have seen Billy Joel in concerts? Anybody seen Billy Joel in concert? We've got some hands up. Did you know that Billy Joel at one point got frustrated? Because he'd look out and see all of his fans and people. He knew a lot of them were working class folk who didn't have a tremendous amount of money. And then he'd see all the rich people up front in his concerts. Frankly, they're a lot harder to impress. Some of them didn't really even want to be there to see him. They wanted everyone to see them because they got the front row seats. So he kind of got fed up. And he realized that he didn't like that people were taking those seats. So he started uh, getting them for himself. Whenever he'd have a concert, he'd reserve the front row for himself. And then the day of the concert, or the day before, he would give the tickets to his roadies, and he'd say, go find some real fans. Go to the back. Go to the way back. The people who only bought the cheapest seats, give them the front row tickets and bring them up front. And do you know how excited those people were when the concert started? They were shouting the loudest. And so he made that a habit. Here's what I love about that. That reflects the heart of God. That reflects the heart of God. David talks about how he cried out. It's like he's way in the back. I mean, he's way in the back, right? This, this poor man cried out and God answered and brought him close. David knew he was at the back of the pack. He knew he was at the bottom of the barrel. But he cried out and far off in the distance, the father with a heart for him brought him close. Listen, that's how we draw near to God. We realize we're so far from him, but he's offering us this free gift to come right down front into his presence, and then he will take care of us. He will take care of everything because he has a great heart for us. So, hey, are you ready to taste and see that the Lord is good? Are you ready to turn to him for the first time or maybe to turn back to him because now is the time? Are you ready to trust him and to ask him to deliver you from all of your fears? Well, I want to give you a chance right now to pray to God in your own heart. I want to give you a chance right now to do what David is saying and to worship him because he will come through for you. Let's bow our, uh, let's bow our, our uh, heads right now and close our eyes. And let's talk to the God who loves us and who takes care of us right now. Heavenly Father, I love what your word says right now. I love that you are a God whose eyes are upon us. I love that you are a God whose ears are open to the cries of your people. I love how David didn't posture and, and flex and try and talk about how he's, he's this great giant slayer. He was doomed. He knew that he had made terrible choices. He knew that it was hopeless, that he could die any moment. And he cried out to you. Like, like a person in the, in the farthest road just crying out, hoping you will hear him. And Father, I just pray for anybody who's here today who has never cried out for salvation. And you are showing them right now that this is why you brought them here. You're telling them it's time. It's time to ask me to save you. It's, it's time, they know it. It's time for them to ask Jesus to save them from all of their fears and all of their sins. And they may wanna pray this right now in their own heart. They may wanna say, Jesus, save me from all of my fears. You can say that in your own heart. You can say, Jesus, save me from all of my fears. I wanna taste and see that the Lord is good. Tell him. And maybe you've wandered away and you know that it's time to turn back. You know, you know that it's time to give God your whole heart. 
And maybe it's time for you to say that, God, turn me back. Turn me back. Turn me. I'm acting like a crazy fool. I'm making horrible choices. I'm making a fool of myself. I'm practically drooling all over myself and acting like a madman. Father, I pray that there would be people like David who realize that this nonsense has gone on for far too long. And may they say, I'm turning back today. Right here, right now, I'm turning back to the Lord. May they say, receive me. And may they say, I'm crying out to you. Deliver me from all of my fears. Father, I just pray that you would bless their faith. Remind them, O oh Lord, that you won't turn them away. That if we seek you and draw near to you, you will draw near to us. I pray that they would, O oh Lord, commit their way to you. May their, the words of their mouth be pleasing in your sight. May their heart be pleasing in your sight. May they commit to being a peacemaker no matter how hard the relationships are around them. And so may they bear the fruit of salvation and show that you are working within them. May they leave the way of the wicked and walk the way of the righteous by your power. Jesus, we love you. And just as David tells us to do, we exalt you, we sing to you, and we trust you. And so we commit all of this to you, Jesus. And it's in your mighty name that we pray. Amen.